Silence. Oppenheimer! I myself am strange and unusual. Listen to Play Radio! Nerd alert! See, this is the stuff that brings nerds together. So it's sort of social. Demented and sad, but social, right? If I'm interested in it, then by definition, it is nerdy. My dad's a nerd. And welcome to episode 300 of Nerd Pride Radio. 300? Madness? This is Nerd Pride. Oh, that's even better than I expected. Awesome. Ask me how I'm doing today. Go on. Ask me. How you doing? I am awesome. My name is Mike Jones. I am a Pathfinder slash D&D nerd, a history nerd, a sci-fi nerd, a comic book nerd, computer nerd, movie nerd, comedy nerd, science nerd, gaming nerd, plus... There's like seven other kinds of nerds. I only wish I was nerdy enough to be you are listening to Nerd Pride Radio, the place I go every week with my handsome son, Aiden. Well, howdy. To haver on about all the nerd stuff that just won't fit in our collective skull anymore. As always, we are recording live from our Nerd Pride studios below the hot gates of Thermopylae. Yeah? Sparta reference. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, there you go. Um, and before we do anything else, first up... Wait, why was that one surprisingly pleasant? <laughs> because it's time for some feedback about you. Whoa. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, hold on. I am, uh, as usual, completely prepared for this podcast. Let me pull this up here quick. Uh, here we go. Uh, Nothing but A-plus podcasting from us here at Nerd Pride. No, this is not meticulously plotted. This is this is pre-meticulously plotted. So it's, uh, this is haphazardly not terribly plotted. Something like that. Uh, after episode 297, uh, we uh, we got some feedback from Kyle. Okay. And Kyle said, I have to tell you, the show is at least 25% better when Aiden is on. Aw. And I don't mean that as a knock against you, Mike. The solo shows are great, but you and Aiden are having such a good time when you record that it is infectious. You all have a great chemistry. Well, thank you, Kyle. Yeah, whatever. It's bullshit. What, excuse me? Whatever. I made this show. I am this show. Yeah, no, but I made this show. Let's let's be honest here. <laughs> Look, I think Kyle knew you were going through a tough time, so he just made up some crap to make you feel better. That's what I think is going on, personally. <laughs> when has Kyle ever shown that he gives a crap about me or my opinions? Oh, now, that's not that's fair. Not Ky- you know, even, even in jest, <laughs> Kyle is a sweet guy. He really I is. Yes, Kyle is really cool. I mean, he comes across as a self-centered jerk, but that's just, you know, that's just his entire demeanor and behavior. That's all. It's a. <laughs> that's right. That's right. As as your mom says, that's just that's just a cover for his tootsie roll center. It only takes only takes three licks to get there. Whoa! Gross! What? 
Uh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sorry. Terrible. Anyway. I think it's time for the meticulously plot important of this podcast. It is. This is the time for me and Aiden where we talk about all of the interesting things we've stumbled across in the last week. If something tickles our collective nerd fancies, oh my god. And a, a phone call. call. Noah, hold on a minute. Hello, Noah, you're on the show. Oh, all right, I'll take Fine. you off the show. Hold on. All right, after an interrupted phone call, it's time for the meticulously plotted portion of this podcast. And we're back! Uh, yes, uh, if something tickles our collective nerd fancy over the course of this busy, busy week, we add it to our master list. And the very, very, very best stuff off of that list gets spewed out all over you guys every week when we record. Yes, Lisa! You lucky dogs. Okay, finally, let's get straight into this. Uh, it's not the news. Here at the cutting edge of current events, here, I have it written out, I can't even read it. Uh, here at the cutting edge of current events, Nerd Pride listeners want to know, Aiden, how's your boogers? Safe in this jar. <laughs> Wow, because I had, I mean, I only put it on here because I had an actual report that, like, I don't know, still a little bit stuffed up, like enough that I can't breathe well at night, and so I wind up sleeping on my back, and I snore a lot, and so I woke up with a sore throat this morning from I mean, snoring. That's how bad do, it was. Do you want to you want to maybe deposit it in the jar, and maybe that'll clear stuff up? Oh, my God. Could I? Oh, yeah, All right, tell you what, you take over. I'll be back in a couple minutes. Cool. All right. Uh, so, uh, next up is uh, the gaming table. I've got Dungeon Master's Guide. Role-playing games, video games, board games, card games, any game. If it fits on our gaming table, then we're here to share it with you. And uh, the thing that we have on the gaming table for this week is uh, a little update on uh, my D&D campaigns and escapades. And I've made a good discovery. If you are a new... If you're a new... Uh, sorry, if you are a DM and have new players, uh, a good thing that you want to teach your players that may not just be inherently evident is to make sure that they understand that in combat, they can collaborate with their teammates to maybe create more powerful attacks or combos or things like that. Because what I have done in my campaign, is I've got someone who this is their first campaign. And so, there's a few rules to explain, and a couple Ooh, I'm back. I feel combat a lot things now. that... Thank you for oh, the jar. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, and a few uh, things that they don't understand about combat, so just running their character is a little difficult for them. So I built an arena where there is no chance that they will die, but they are extremely difficult fights with very high rewards. And those rewards really push players to want to achieve victory, but without the risk of death. And because that they are truly looking to get these rewards, they're going to look at every option they have. So I had a player polymorph into a dragon wormling. And another player goes, oh, good idea, I'll cast enlarge reduce on you. Mm -hmm. And now we have a much bigger dragon. Nice. And it was a really good... Because what I like is my players being inventive with their abilities 
to a point where I don't have rules on what you've just done. Uh-huh. So they increase the size of this dragon. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'll give you an extra 10 feet on your breath weapon. Mm-hmm. Because you're a bigger dragon now. Nice. Look, and I will I will tell you, um, even for very experienced players, there's still that tendency to, you look at your character sheet, you take the most optimal move for you at this moment, and it right. doesn't necessarily always, uh, like, okay, flanking rules. Yeah, D&D and Pathfinder have flanking rules, and so therefore, yeah, we certainly get uh, a fair amount of cooperation on flanking, but then there's other things that we just don't even consider, like, you know, initiative comes up in this order, and since my character is the one that gets, uh, you know, as the bard, I'm, I'm singing the morale song, and I usually cast haste in the first round mm-hmm. to get everyone boosted. And oh, haste boosts more than one person in Pathfinder? And so, yeah, 14 for me. So, oh, okay, no, no, no. Haste in 5e gives one person double movement and an extra attack. Yeah. That's a lot for one person. Well, haste in Pathfinder gives everybody double movement and an extra attack. So, well, keep in mind that uh, the only player I've ever seen use haste was the guy who was also a blade singer, which, mm-hmm. you know, gave him another extra attack and a boost to his AC. Combined it with haste, and then also had the shield spell at the ready, giving him a 30 AC. Nice. Which, a good AC for a player is 18, 19. Right. No, no, I I was aware that D&D was much lower. So, yeah, well, here's the thing, though. With haste in Pathfinder, if we're all within 30 feet of each other, Mm -hmm. then... And it's not that... And then, if if we're on 30 feet, one fireball can take us all out. Well, here's the thing. It doesn't have to be... Um, it doesn't have to be within 30 feet of the caster. It has to be within, everyone has to be within 30 feet of everybody. So we all have to be right. in this tight little ball. And, and so I go to cast haste on my first action. Well, anyone who attacks before me in initiative order, uh huh, they tend to just leave. They go run up and they start doing their hitting thing because they want to get in there early. So they're willing to sacrifice haste. In order to go get an extra hit in right now. When you could be having though, extra attacks every turn for the rest of combat. Right. And so, even though we've been gaming together for seven years, we are all mature, experienced players, we still have this bit where, yeah, sometimes that, that plotting and working together, mm-hmm. oh man, it's still really tough. So, something that I did not expect them to work together on is one of my players blew the Pipe of Desperation. Uh-huh. And which, for those of you who don't know, is a legendary item in campaigns invented by Mike and myself that uh, has completely random effects. Uh, it started out with uh, one of my characters owning it in one of Mike's campaigns. And what I didn't know at the time is I thought he had a table written out for these percentile I was rolling... Right, no. no just made it and up. when I decided to incorporate it into my campaigns, literally 15 years later, I asked him, hey, could I get the Pipe of Desperation table? And he said, table? I was just saying whatever I thought was funny. <laughs> Still love that. So I made a table of 120 outcomes, because I do have a D120, that now the Pipe of Desperation can roll up. Mm-hmm. And so the Pipe of Desperation is blown, and they get a swarm of tiny creatures 
comes out of the end of the pipe to attack the target. Okay. It's four crabs. Okay. Now, these crabs don't go away at any point. They will just follow the user and attack enemies. Uh-huh. They had a player go down to protect the crabs. <laughs> they are crabs with two hit points, mm-hmm. no attack bonus, and only do one damage. Uh-huh. And they are so actively protecting these four crabs, and I don't know why. Because it hasn't occurred to them how tasty they are yet? <laughs> They're four... You can go buy a crab for, like, two silver. Right. Oh, if that, But right? these crabs are special for some reason, and I absolutely love it. That's really funny. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, combo attacks, learning to use your... Uh, allies' abilities and protect the crabs. Okay, uh, that's that's what I got. All right, very cool. All right, um, can I move on to the science corner? Yeah. Ooh, she blinded me with science. She blinded me with science. Blinded me with science. And that music means if you don't walk away now, you might be in danger of learning something. Okay, I'm sorry about that confusion. I'm just trying to. Read the show notes here. What does that say? That's all right. It says Thor Heyerdahl is racist. Why is this in the science corner? Who's Thor Heyerdahl? Aha! Uh-huh. I'm glad you asked that question. He is a Norwegian anthropologist. Well, he was a Norwegian anthropologist. Now he's dead. But okay, um, in his day, uh, he's I, he's more of an amateur anthropologist and ethnologist, and he's um, but he came up, he, he, he built on these theories of, of how civilizations developed, and uh, he has particular fascination with Polynesian cultures in the Pacific, and famously, uh, he once built a raft, uh, a raft called the Contiki, and he sailed that raft from South America to one of these Polynesian islands that's thousands of miles out in the ocean. And the whole point was to prove that, because his theory was that uh, the people of Polynesia had gotten to the islands from South America, because the currents flow from east to oh, west I didn't hear the about ocean. this guy. How is he racist? And I'm getting there. And so he built the Contiki. He sailed it successfully to one of those islands just to prove that it could be done, uh, and thus supported his theory that, that people migrated uh, from South America westward across the Pacific to populate all of these islands. Okay. I read Contiki in sixth grade uh, as part of a school project, and I was fascinated by it because it was just a cool adventure story. Um, And I just recently, this week, learned that, yeah, apparently uh, Thor Heyerdahl is pretty racist. Um, As I was listening to the, uh, yeah, uh, I was listening to the history of Easter Island, um, which is uh, more properly known as Rapa Nui. And, mm-hmm. and it turns out that his theory on Rapa Nui and how the, uh, the giant head statues were built, the Moai, as they're called, uh, his theory on those was that it was not built by the current people who inhabit Rapa Nui, but rather that there was an earlier civilization that had of come white people, of light-skinned, red-haired peoples. Ooh, I was joking. 
who had oh no uh huh who had migrated from South America uh, out there and then later for whatever reason they were forced out or defeated and then the darker skinned peoples moved in and so thus um, because we we couldn't find any way that these people could have constructed these heads and then moved them into the positions that they're in and it just seemed beyond these quote-unquote primitive peoples, and therefore um, they had to posit some advanced white race that came earlier. Uh, and, and this is, look, this, this racist theory in particular, but see, it wasn't just him. There was other people that, did, that had these same sorts of theories, uh, and, and it was based on the idea that, oh, we have no idea how people constructed the pyramids. We have no idea how people yes, yes, const- we do. constructed the Moai. Yes, we do. Uh, we have, oh, I know we do. I know, but again, it seemed it seemed impossible given what we knew of those cultures and their technological prowess, and therefore, uh, through our, our chauvinistic uh, white eyes, we just presumed that they could not have done this themselves. It had to be either aliens, uh, Atlanteans, uh, or potentially, and this is where Thor Heyerdahl is, is that there is some some progenitor race of, of light-skinned megalith builders who were responsible for the uh, the pyramids of the Mayans and the I mean, I mean, Egyptian you, pyramids. You did the, see the videos on how they're pretty sure the, how they moved the Moai. The walking? Yeah, yeah. Well, yes. they just tie ropes to the top of it and walk it across the yeah, island. and it just walks back and forth. Yeah, it's really <laughs> cool. Oh, and also, which, by the way... The people of Rapa Nui, when you asked them, they would tell you the legends of the Moai, and and they would say that, yes, the Moai were constructed and then walked from the quarry to here. That's always the story, is that the the Moai walked from wherever they were built to wherever they're standing. Yeah. And we just assumed that that was some poetic legend, and therefore, you know, clearly... (laughs) No, it's not a legend. We're being pretty literal here. Yeah, and I mean, like... This was in this thing. The other mystery of the mystery in quotes of the Rapa Nui is how they came to this island in the first place. Their origin story, probably a boat, and they tell their origin story. Their their myth among their people is that they came from another island called whatever, and that at some point uh, scouts from that island had found Rapa Nui. And it was a paradise. Now, there's also a prophecy that the king dreamed that this paradise island was out there. Right. And that's why they were looking for it. I mean, do you know how many white people have those legends? Well, and so it was It was that, It was that. hey, we had scouts come out. They found the island, saw that it was good. So they came back, and we loaded up in a bunch of uh, uh, long voyaging canoes. And we brought our people out here with all the stuff that we needed, and we set up shop. And that's, like, literally, that's how we got here. And it's, yeah. You know what? It really is. What I don't understand is how people can say, well, we don't know how they built the pyramids when we have found hieroglyphic instructions on how exactly they built the pyramids. We didn't know how to translate them back then. But (laughs) they're pictographs. Now, by the way, okay, we're going we're going way off of the um, we're going way off the topic here. And by the way, hieroglyphs aren't pictographs, but no, that's another story. No, there is pictographic instructions. Yes. I haven't seen that. All right. 
real quick. I, uh, I know that it's in hieroglyphs and pictographs. No, it's literally picture by picture instructions on you're going to need these carts and you're going to need these slanted slabs first at, to use as ramps so your carts can bring these slabs higher up. That's pretty good. Hey, Mike, during editing, I hope you find this, because if you don't, it's going to be real confusing for the listeners. Oh, my God. <laughs> I just had to pause the podcast because I was going to say something, and I couldn't remember what it was. So I paused the podcast, and I said, hold on a minute. I was just about to say something interesting, and I can't remember what it was. And my wife, my wife, who loves me, supposedly. Who loves me? Who loves me? She snorted and had to stifle a giggle when I said I was going to say something interesting. And now it all devolved into Aiden and Lisa <laughs> laughing hysterically at me for 20 minutes. Okay, it wasn't 20 minutes. But still, I did remember what I was going to say, though. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, this, uh, this legend of how, they, um, of how they got to Rapa Nui in the first place. The first Europeans visited them in 1722-ish. Um, when do we think the Rapa Nui actually got to the island, or got to that island? When, when do we think that the people actually showed up there themselves? I don't know. 1933, the same year the Loch Ness Monster. No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no. Um, it's all connected. No. Uh, like, they wrote on the back of the Loch Ness Monster. Like we think they got there in like 1200. Maybe maybe a couple hundred years earlier, maybe not, but like you know, not that long. Mm-hmm. So they'd only been there like maybe five hundred years by the time uh, uh, by the time Europeans showed up, which means that the legends were just not that old. So uh-huh. they knew what they were talking about. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is that Thor Heyerdahl is racist, right? And so he has these racist theories, which you know, he was a white guy. In a white European doing science in the 1920s and 30s. So the fact that he's racist should not have been surprising. Is, is it better than homophobes doing archaeology? I don't know any homophobes doing archaeology. Oh, oh, oh we, we, uh, we, we did a whole oh, bit about yes, that. Yes, you're right. No, no, I know the one, exactly the ones you're talking about. Uh, yeah, it's probably even worse than that. But Why are there so many bigots in scientific fields? Because the whole world was bigoted. So here's the thing, is that I... Wanted to look it up and say, wait a minute, Thor Heyerdahl racist. I want to see what other people have said about this. Because as I'm listening to the description of him and his theories, I'm like, that's really racist. That is really racist. And so I wanted to look it up and see what was said about that. And so I found a rebuttal. Apparently many people have said Thor Heyerdahl was racist. And here's a, a rebuttal written by somebody who works at the Kontiki Museum in Oslo, Norway. Um, Uh-oh. Yeah. And so this is someone who actually works for the Thor Heyerdahl Museum, essentially, uh, working to preserve his legacy. And they would like to argue strenuously that he wasn't really a racist. And so um, the points here, and it's all spelled out, and the, the translation is a little bit iffy. But first off, <laughs> the terminology and models of explanation used by Heyerdahl, this is, who, uh, this, is this writer whose name I didn't look up, uh, from the Kantiki Museum. It says, the te- ter- terminology and models of explanation used by Heyerdahl uh, and in his writings was the, quote-unquote, no. current standard of methods in geography. Now, arch- hold on. Could you please read me the title of his writing? American Indians in the Pacific. There's so much wrong with that. Well, yes. <laughs> okay, but current standard 
of methods used in the 20s and 30s and even later. Today, many of these perceptions come across as racist, but in contemporary times, this was not necessarily the case. Okay, look. Right, we're, we're, not, we're not talking about what was the case back then. Right, just because everybody was racist back then? Yeah, we granted that everyone was racist back then. That's not a defense. Right. And we're also not saying that he's necessarily a horrible person. He was working with the best tools that he had at the time, and he made the same assumptions about people that everyone else did. And yes, there were enlightened people that could see beyond that, but most people couldn't at the time. We get that, but he's still racist. Mm-hmm. Um, number two... Uh, Thor Heyerdahl, who was a self-educated man in the fields of ethnology and archaeology, was already, prior to publication of American Indians in the Pacific, made aware that some of his te- terminology and models of explanation may be viewed as racist. Okay, oh, wait a so, minute. hold on. They were telling him that it might be. Therefore, in order... Your to- first point has just been counterpointed by yourself. But, to avoid being misunderstood, he introduced the term Caucasian-like. So he didn't say they were Caucasians. He just said they were similar to Caucasians, you know, in that they were light-skinned and superior. Um, that does, that, that's 0% better. Right. The, the fact that you, you call them by a different name but you still mean the same thing doesn't really, doesn't really make that much of a difference. This person goes on a bit. But uh, ultimately, however, most importantly, they say, Thor Heyerdahl never portrayed himself as a racist. No one one does. No racist says, well, to be racist. Right. It's always, look, I'm not a racist, but. (laughs) Could you imagine? I'm a racist, but. Or I'm a racist and. Look, I'm not a racist, but there's no way these brown people built those statues. (laughs) See, that's the point. So, uh, anyway, that that was my shock this week. Okay, that's all I got on Thor Heyerdahl. Now it's time for This Week in Speedrunning. Okay, hold on. It's technically not This Week in Speedrunning. Also, this week two years ago. I don't commandeer your bits. What? Yeah, really? Really? You're using the gaming table now? I haven't done the gaming table in how long? You keep getting them. Yeah, I can't. I can't do speedrunning when I find something interesting. Oh, you know what? You know what? I'm I'm being reductive. Gaming is for everybody. Go right on ahead. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. And as it turns out, like I say, it's not this week in speedrunning. It was actually two years ago this week. Oh, but still, okay. this is actually something Yancey sent me. Uh, um, it's a. Uh, World record with walnuts. So I'm going to pause for just a second while uh, while Aiden and I watch a minute and a half video. Hold on. Now, I would like to clarify really quick that this does not technically count as speedrunning. It doesn't count as speedrunning at all. It's... Right, it's, it's it's a it's a Guinness World Record. For 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 future reference, we would like to keep this uh, segment relegated to things uh, officiated by speedrun.com. Look, as long as it's my show, I'll do whatever I want. Oh, really? Is it your show? It's my show. Mm. Kyle, Kyle even verified that I'm the one who makes this show. So I'm pretty sure it's all me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So, anyway, what this was was a, a man uh, setting the world record for most walnuts cracked with your head in a minute. And, uh, you know, go watch. It's hypnotic. 
it's 217. 217 walnuts cracked in a minute. And at the end, your head is bleeding and raw. And, and he's screaming. Yeah. And the, the, only reason, the only reason I came up with this, Yancey shared this with me. And the only reason I brought it here was because, like your video of the guy snapping the most times in a minute, it is painful. Yeah, you can tell that before they're even halfway through, they are in excruciating pain doing this. And yet, no slowing down. They keep pushing right through to the end. I don't, I don't, I mean, I can see the snapping bit. I understand that it hurts, but, you know, that's just a little bit. But this guy is scarring his head and possibly causing brain damage from the repetitive uh, slamming of his head into walnuts here. I don't get it. That's just crazy talk. And, yeah, you're right. It's not speedrunning. I, I apologize for commandeering your bit uh, to bring uh, this this uh, this fraud to the table. <laughs> so so I was right. I should have been reductive. Yes, yes. You should have. You your, your real problem here was that you were being too nice to me. You were being way too lenient. That's what I'm saying. So, anyway, uh, that, that's all I've got on that one. But, oh, oh, wait. Uh-oh. Get the little ones out of the room. Make sure you're sitting down for this. Nerd rage came flashing back, and I just looked at him and went, That's right, it's time for some nerd rage. Uh, Actually, this one's, uh, can we stop reporting on different phases of the moon, honestly? Can I stop seeing in in headlines and on Facebook that, that, oh, hey, look, it's it's a rare blue moon this this weekend, Mm -hmm. or... Uh, which a blue moon, by the way, is depending on how you define it. It's the either, sec- isn't it the second full moon in a month? It's either the second full moon in a month. That's the common usage, but the original usage of a blue moon was a fourth blue moon in a season. Which, right, because months and seasons don't line up with days exactly, you still get one every two point seven years on average, but uh, but they just fall slightly differently. Um, any any time you have uh, thirteen full moons in a year, you're going to wind up having a blue moon uh, for one of the seasons and a blue moon for one of the months. Or well, well, he, he, here's the thing: is that to have a blue moon in in the seasons definition, you'd still have to have two in one month. Not necessarily. Just the way they line up, because the seasons start on, like, the 22nd or 23rd. Ah, uh, no, that's fair. But, and there is the possibility that if you have your blue moon in January, you could wind up having no full moon at all in February, so you would wind up having a blue moon in January and a blue moon in March, meaning you wind up having four blue moons in three months. Mm-hmm. But it's still dumb. Or not blue moons, full moons. Anyway, it's still dumb. It happens all the time. We don't need to report on a supermoon. Supermoon is just when the moon is at its closest pass to Earth. And that happens four times a year, like clockwork. Uh-huh. And you can't tell the difference with the naked eye, so who cares? It's just, it's just yep. it just happens. Uh, or lately, oh, got make sure you go out and see the harvest moon. I think that was a game release, actually. Do you know what a harvest moon is? Come on! Aiden, shut up! All right, see, Noah appreciates you. I don't. Do you you know what a harvest moon is? No. Okay, the harvest moon is the full moon that's closest to harvest time. That's it. Because, and it was relevant back in the day because the full moon meant you could 
work into the night to bring in the harvest because you had light at night. That was it. Whatever full moon happens to fall closest to like October 1st or September 22nd or wherever they make the marker of it, that's the harvest moon. That's all it is. So go out and see the harvest moon. You mean a full moon? You're not. uh, It's just annoying. Annoying. Could you imagine a 50-year-old man just yelling at the moon? (laughs) Wouldn't that just be a crazy thought? (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine that he he's yelling at such a volume that if they wanted to hear him, millions of people could listen to this 50-year-old man just shout at the moon. I don't think you're taking me seriously here. I really, I feel, I feel disrespect coming from you. Is oh, what I, really? Because that's because I'm disrespecting you. <laughs> oh, then okay, at least it's accurate. We're good. <laughs> um, okay, fine. You want to move on to something we both like? Oh, uh, is is it is it a science fiction single feature? Science fiction, feature. That's right. Here at Nerd Pride Radio, you get not one, but well, just one, one, one movie review for the same low low price. Look, it would have been two if you had brought a movie like I asked. You didn't ask me to bring a movie right after you... right after you got here. I asked you if you'd watched any movies, and you. Like the lazy slob you are, had not. Had you asked me for a movie, I would have... Had you asked me yesterday, I had time yesterday. Oh! Uh, after you mention your movie, I do have something movie-related to speak about. Okay. Well, this is a movie we've both seen now. Actually, I think it's a nerd culture report, but... Ah, sorry, we can put it here. Okay. Um, this is a movie we've both seen, uh, and it is Guns Akimbo. Starring, oh my god! Starring Daniel Radcliffe. And I'm just telling you, if you like stupid, pointless, comic book style movie violence, this is the movie for you. This was right on. I had such a good time watching it. It is such a fun movie. Daniel Radcliffe gets himself into some trouble. And I guess I don't have much to say about it other than that, because Aiden's already talked about Guns of Kimbo on this podcast. Oh my god, it's so good. Yeah. But, um, But Daniel Radcliffe... Gets himself in some trouble, wakes up, and he's got guns bolted to his hands. That's it. No, not 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 just to his hands. They they are bolted to the bones of his hands. Well, yeah, like like. Well, how else would you bolt them on? It is just a magical movie mm-hmm. that I hope there's a sequel. It. It set itself up so if they wanted a sequel, they certainly could. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if Daniel Radcliffe is interested in it, but... but uh, I'd watch it. Yeah. It was great. It was just... Um, it was very funny, and the action was, was awesome, and it starts off... Look, the only, my, only, my only complaint, I didn't even notice it or think about it until after the movie was completely over, is that in the beginning... There was nothing. No. And... Then God's... Oh, I'm sorry. Is that not... Oh, okay. In the beginning of this movie, he he clearly is a guy who's not used to violence and not used to guns. And so there's you know some talk about like when he fires the gun and he's talking about how loud it is and how it's nearly deafened him and, and how the, you know, the firearms, the violence, all of this is not, not nearly in real life what it is in video games and stuff. And yet by the end, it just becomes a video game and, and all that 
all that talk about uh, the grittiness of it just goes out the window. So well, right, because he's now used to murder. He is now he's now a killer. It doesn't bother him anymore. That's the metaphor. That's true. He did, and he leveled up pretty quick. I'll give him that much. So anyway, that was it. I saw Guns Akimbo. I was excited. You guys should go watch Guns Akimbo. So and sorry, I'm the one who's eating on the podcast now. <laughs> these uh, these sea salt poppables from Lay's are really really tasty. They're addictive. Can't help it. So, anyway, uh, that's all I got for now. You got anything? Uh, not that I know of. Well, then it must be time for the... Oh, yes, I do. Yeah, yes. yeah, the, the movie I was going to talk about. Oh, there you go. You had something. So, in uh, in December, they are releasing a Monster Hunter movie. Okay. And I spoke about Monster Hunter last time, and as a veteran hunter, I am extremely excited about this movie. But there's a lot of fans that are up in arms about it. Because? And if you couldn't hear the air quotes I put around fans, it's because of this exact reason. The issue that they have is that the plot is that a government-like force, a battalion of like six dudes, are going to investigate a weird temporal anomaly. Okay. And they are modern soldiers with modern weaponry, and they go through this portal, and they are now in the Monster Hunter world. Okay. So, and are so confronted. this is actually based, literally based on the video. Yes. Game. And they are faced with a black Diablos that their bullets have zero effect on. Okay. And everyone is furious that modern weapons would definitely be able to hurt a black Diablos. But what I say is, you have to realize that... To pierce a Black Diablos' flesh, a hunter in the games brings a rifle capable of firing a subsonic two-inch bullet Mm -hmm. at this monster using the gunpowder force of practically a stick of dynamite. Okay. You have to have an incredibly powerful weapon to puncture... I, this thing's hide. So it makes absolute sense that a modern seven seventy six caliber, sorry, seven point six two caliber bullet. Maybe, maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but I'm thinking it doesn't make as much sense as you're thinking. But the more important point, yes, Eli. Well, if you use the, uh, the I don't know, I just walked in. If you use the, uh, the uh, you know the Gen Morian. Yes, of course. The, the big, big, big monster. Does it make sense that bullets can't go through that thing's skin and it's basically... Right, not even Monster Hunter bullets go through that guy. No, no. What you need to get through that thing's skin is a giant drill. Yeah, you need a giant hydraulic barbed drill. That has actual dynamite behind the drill that launches it forward. It is so incredibly tough to fight a... Mo- uh, oh, how are... If bullets can't go through a tide, how does a sword go through it? Because that is a 600-pound sword made of monster that is swung by a man capable of swinging 600 pounds. Okay, so you're saying... It is... It makes me so furious that they are trying to insert so real human logic. So you're saying that the <laughs> movie's 
logic makes exactly as much sense as the rest of the That's game. That's exactly what I'm saying. Is that they're like, oh, the military's blah, 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 blah. No, I'll... it's it's a game where you swing big anime swords. Yeah, look. Yeah, it... I think this should have been in Nerd Rage, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, you're probably right. No, we're in science fiction double feature. So, here's, here's yeah. the thing. is that it Oh, does, it's coming out in December. It does... It, they're right that it doesn't make sense that, look, modern weaponry, armor-piercing bullets, we've got really... We've got Armor-piercing really bullets cannot pierce stone. That is about as hard as okay. a Black Diablos' hide. Look, 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 look. look, look. Are, are the weapons that we're using against the, the monsters in the game, are they all magical? They're not magical, no but magic. they are... They are weighted in a way that it would make sense. Okay. Oh, and also, uh, here's something else you have to put into... Because I got... I, go something ahead. else is that... Uh, you gotta come around on this side if you're gonna The planet talk. that Monster Hunters takes play, place on has very low gravity. It's sort of. Uh, that's been retconned, actually, since uh, Monster Hunter 4. Why did they retcon... Oh, because different... Because right. World came out and they wanted it to be a more realistic feel for, feel for the world. in a different... Nope. Okay. Same dimension. But, beside the point, what I'm saying is a 7mm bullet going hypersonic is far less impactful than a subsonic 2-inch bullet. Not, you know what? What I'm saying is it's big anime dumb stuff and you're having a fit over real weapons. I'm just saying, I'm just saying... I am not a Monster Hunter expert, and I am certainly not a ballistics expert, but the whole thing reeks of, of contrived bullshit to me. Uh-huh. So I'm just going to say that, yeah, the whole point is there has to be a reason for them to use the, the Monster Hunter weapons. I don't right. know why they chose to go with modern-day soldiers, maybe to make it more relatable, whatever, but once we've chosen modern-day soldiers, we well, need a reason for them to abandon their weapons what, what and I realize think that is, they are outmatched is and that they need to adapt. They need a fish out of water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They need someone who wasn't born in the world so that someone can then explain the world to them. Yeah. And for the audience, it doesn't feel like needless exposition. I follow you. That's my theory. Okay. But... The most important part is this is going to be the greatest movie of this year. I am going to see this movie, and I'm probably going to love it. Mm-hmm. The greatest movie ever. Monster uh, Hunter. You... I can't wait to watch someone just use a horn to just bash oh, dia- bash that same Black Diablo so hard, its horn gets broken off and flies <laughs> Keep in mind, when he says horn, he does not mean like a monster's horn. No, he means an instrument. No, no, no! I said I can't wait to see a guy use a hammer. To oh, you said hammer! Swing I said a horn. hammer so hard anyway. that it cracks through that same Diablos's horn. Unrelated. Well, I mean, very related, but okay. Now are we done? I think I've cooled off. Yeah. All right. Now it's time for the pod. Omatic. Hot dog! This is the Third Pride Radio Pod Omatic. At the end of every cast, we bring out R2 and his fully, fully pimped out Podomatic bubble. And he rolled up, rolls up random topics for us to talk about. Where do these topics come from, you ask? Well, that's where you come in. You want to hear us hey, Ron, about something? You send your question or topic to us by email, or better yet, in a private message on our forums at nerdpredradio.com slash nerds. 
and we'll add it to our Podomatic list, because Podomatic is about whatever you want, want it to, to be. be. Whew. All right, what's our first number? Uh, 40. 40 is from? Because oh. we're prepared. We are prepared. It is from, uh-oh, we have a problem. Uh, you didn't clear off the list. You didn't clear off the list from last time. I hope we don't hit any of well, those questions. It's a minefield. All right. This mm-hmm. one's from Ron. Call that one. No, wait. Let's just let's just start over here and go. There we go. All right. This one's from Ron. Ron says, "Do you sew? Do you sew? Yeah, I'm so 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 so. Yeah, no, I don't. Hand stitch or machine sew? Machine. I can't hand stitch to save my life. Um, I don't sew. So sorry, can't help you. Try again. Uh." That's that's why God uh, created fabric glue. Seventy five. Seventy five is. Uh, oh, it's from DM Darks. Oh man, he's awesome. Yeah, he's acceptable. I mean, you know, if if you don't have anything better. All right, he says, in Pathfinder, the spell that bothers me the most is identify. No, it's it's surprisingly not glitter dust. Not because it reveals uh, an item's powers or charges. But I feel that it stops players from experimenting with magic items. What does it do? I don't know. We'll figure it out when we finish the dungeon. Rather than, what does it do? I don't know, but I'm going to point it at the boss troll and hope it does something. Where's the mystique? Assuming you accept my premise, do you think that my real problem with this spell comes not from the rulebook itself, but rather from video games like Neverwinter Nights, where you have to have the item identified because a computer program can't handle the imagination? Or could it? Hmm. Okay. I think that exists for players who aren't... Who don't look for that kind kind of experimentation. The stats are there and Identify is there for the people that just want to be like, Oh, cool, I have a new tool. Not, what is this thing? Mm. Oh, it, I, if I don't know what it does, then I probably don't want to use it because it might be cursed. Because I remember, I remember years and years and years ago when, yeah, the only way we found out what our... Magic items did was by experimentation, and that was pretty cool. Well, and giving them to a giant, I would giving them giving a giant elf a great sword and just hoping he knows what he's doing. See, exactly. I I think um, I agree with you that it does take some of the the magic, so to speak, out of the whole process. Uh, I don't think I I. Th- I don't think it's for players who don't have the creativity. I think the spell itself limits creativity. Because in our group, you know, if we have access to the identify spell, mm-hmm. then, okay, we we would just find out what it is. Why, why would we go risk playing around with it, wasting charges, possibly hurting ourselves when we have access to a spell that does it? Or better yet, in our group, we've got like four players, five players that can make spellcraft checks to see if we can identify it ourselves. Right. So there's nothing that we don't identify pretty much within the first day But then day you also so. have DMs who have that confrontational nature. And they, if, if you have a DM that is frequently cursing you guys with items, then the identify spell is your best friend. Because, you know, mm-hmm. last thing you want to do is add another curse to the pile. Which actually I think plays into Pat's point about... The video game Neverwinter Nights, where you have to use the identify spell to figure out what the item is before you use it. Right. Um, because that is that is a situation where it is a uh, 
there, there is no cooperation between player and GM in a video game. You're just following the rules, and it plays out automatically. And so, yeah, you, you don't you don't have the chance for the imagination, which is exactly what he's saying. So, mm-hmm. no, and no, I don't think it's solely because of the video game that you have that problem, Pat. Right. Uh, I think it is the idea that you have, I'm sure, remember days when players had to experiment and you had trials and errors. And it was a lot of fun the first time they used something in combat and then found out that it was a cursed item or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you just don't get that anymore. So I completely understand. Well, we appreciate the question. That was a good conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, 45. Yeah, this is the last one. So uh, we are at... 45 is from Kyle. Oh, hi, Kyle. And Kyle says, Okay, pick any two-digit number and say it out loud on the podcast. 75. 75. Now, just in your head and not using any writing or electronic help, multiply it by 7. No. What'd you say, 75? Yeah. Okay, uh, 75 multiplied by 5 is 525. 525, yes. See, you had that. Um well, we're getting right. there. Multiplied by se- I, I meant multiplied by 7. So 75 or times 7 is 525. For one last time, multiply the new result by 7. Uh, okay. It's uh, 35,175. What? Isn't it? 525? 500 30. times 7 is 3,500. Oh, no, no. It would be 30... 36175. 36175, yeah. Or 3675. Yes. Got yes, it. 3675. 3675. Okay. <clears throat> now, okay, do you remember that this was the perfect way to get rid of embarrassing boners in middle school? Seriously, how flaccid are you right now? Oh, oh, no, no. We we have a we have a whole new method nowadays. What? You just flex your arm for like 10 seconds. Really? Yep. Okay, I... Yeah, your blood just goes elsewhere. That's weird. Science instead of math, baby. Wow. That's stupid. That's pretty good. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Noah says he's just going to keep doing the math thing. So, all right. Uh, Anyway, that's it. We have now... Okay, thank you. Eight. Okay, now that's it. Uh, Eight is... From Ronster. Hey, Ron. And Ron says, Lord of the Rings recast with actors from any TV show or movie. Go. Uh, I was going to say Futurama, but they already did that, so. Right. Frodo, as Frodo. I was going to say The Office, but I realized I don't ever watch The Office, so I don't really know any of the characters. I mean, Parks and Rec would be pretty all right. Okay. Nine-Nine? Oh my god. All right, recast Lord of the Rings with actors from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Or Letterkenny. Um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, so who who gets to play Frodo? I mean, Andy Samberg. No, Andy Samberg? Andy Samberg. There you go. I, I don't know the names of people. Shut up. That's all right. So uh, Jake Peralta as, uh, as Frodo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raymond Holt as Gandalf. Yeah, Raymond Holt as Gandalf. I was just about to say the exact same thing. Uh, I I need I Charles need Charles as the leader of the dwarves. No, 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 no. It's got to be Terry Crews. Mm-hmm. I need Terry Crews to be Gimli. <laughs> Terry Crews is our dwarf. Um, 
Charles gets to be Samwise. Yes. Uh, Charles Boyle is definitely Samwise. Uh, Rosa is definitely uh, Legolas. Yes, I was just going to say, we needed an elf. I was going to say Rosa. That is perfect. And then Um, her dad would just... All right, so that leaves us with uh, uh, oh Scully and uh, Hitchcock. Wait, and uh, Amy. Uh, uh, Scully and Hitchcock are Mary and Pippin. Uh-huh. Scully and Hitchcock are Mary and Pippin. Great. Uh, Rose's dad would obviously be, like, the one human dude in the party. No, I I, th- I think Amy would make a a decent Boromir. Is that the guy? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but come the, the, on. The, the, the kind of head of the group trying to keep everyone on task. All right. All right. I'll give you that. And then last of all, oh, Gina. Uh, Gina, she's she's Gollum. She's <laughs> like, duh. That's okay. <laughs> We're set. That was easy. All right, very cool. Come on, dude. Thirty-seven. So now that I'm onto the bit, That's, now the bit is that uh, it has to be two more instead of one. It's bad. Okay, see, look, there's already a thirty-seven. We used that last week. So twenty-two. All right, twenty-two. Yeah. It's from Lisa. Hey, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Hello. All right. And Lisa says, what's your favorite thing about the beach? Never been. Uh, I hate sand. It's coarse and it gets everywhere. She's so pretty and that's why I married her. Oh, wait, beach. You said beach. Woof. Oh, my God. You're the one that asked the question. All right. Um, It was just for humor value, I swear. Uh, my favorite thing about the beach is, uh, I don't know, sitting around doing nothing all day. Mm-hmm. I really like, I like building sandcastles with the kids. I like uh, body surfing with almost no waves out there, so you're basically just flopping around in the water. Um, just laying out in the sun and talking to people. Uh, spending Spending your evenings having something to drink and just... Shooting the shit with everybody. I just, it's a lot of lazy nothing. I love the beach. I think it's awesome. I love, I love walking on the beach. I love looking for shells. I love, um, yeah, the, uh, uh, uh what are the, the, the coquina, um, the little, little clam looking things that you can get, dig up out of the sand. And when they get wet, they dig into the sand. And, uh, mm. and so if you hold a little bit of sand in your hand with the guys sitting on top, they will throw some water on them. And then the little clams will start digging down in until they're digging into your hand. So their little little foot tongues are out there licking the palm. Yeah. So it's awesome. I like the beach a lot. Sounds it's like a lot fun. Of fun. So, okay. Now can we be done? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Aha! <laughs> Damn it! Give me the button. Now it's time for GLaDOS to give us a recap of this week's episode so far. Remember when the platform was sliding into the fire pit and I said goodbye, and you were like, No way. And then I was all, we pretended we were going to murder you. That was great. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Nerd Pride Radio. The opening and closing theme is Death Metal Disco by Ian Cronk, as performed by Black Dove Underground. My bumper music this week was Weezer's In the Garage, She Blinded Me with Science, as performed by William Shatner, and uh, Me First in the Gimme Gimme's with Science Fiction Double Feature. Uh, all the songs I use are available on iTunes and a bunch of other music services. So, you know, check them out, listen to them, buy them, enjoy them. I wouldn't put them in my podcast if I didn't love them. If you want to help out Nerd Pride, subscribe to this podcast and whatever podcatcher you use. Write us a nice review or, you know, crappy review. Just give it the five stars because that's what makes the difference to the algorithm. 
Uh, if you really want to do something super nice for us, though, recommend this podcast to your friends because you're enjoying it, so you should be spreading the word and let other people enjoy it as well. Word of mouth is my bread and butter, people. Uh, remember, we're always looking for you listeners to do our work for us. Don't forget to send questions and topics for the Podomatic. Uh, let us know if you want to be included in the listener betrayal. And if you have a really interesting nerd fact about an upcoming episode number, send it to me and save me all of that grueling research. Contact information, Mike at NerdPrideRadio.com, at NerdPrideRadio on social medias that don't really matter to me. Uh, but to be completely honest, the very best way to talk to me is come sign up for my forums at NerdPrideRadio.com slash nerds. Sign up there, send me a message, we will hang out together, we will become the best friends in the world. We'll have fun. Now it's time for Listener Betrayal. Before we start recording every podcast, we post up to our uh, ever-vigilant Gallium and Platinum Club members and say, hey, we are recording. Anything that they say during the duration of this recording, we will read off at the end of the episode, which is what we are doing right now. So, uh, you want to go first or you want me to do it? Uh, you can go first. Okay. <laughs> All right, I sent out, or I said, hold on. Here we go. Let's start from... Oh, I think Aiden was my... No. There. Pat. That was my first response. I said, Gallium Club member, guess what? We are recording episode 300. What is your favorite thing that you own at least 300 of? And my first response is from Pat. Pat says, rice. No, wait. I ate those. Uh, D&D books. Wait, no, I ate those too. (laughs) I, I might have 300 if you count magazines. Uh, Magic the Gathering cards definitely have 300 oh, of those. Oh, yeah. Uh, CDs. Lots of music. All right. Good answers. Oh, I'm sorry. I, d- I didn't send you my response. <laughs> uh, my response was Magic cards. Oh, nice. Way to copy Pat. Whatever, <laughs> Mr. Original. Um, let's see. Next up is... Oh, it's Kyle. Kyle says, children. <laughs> He says, great and amazing question, by the way. Here's a question for you. If someone were to offer you $10 million, but you'd have a tickle in the back of your throat that makes you cough every 10 minutes, would you take it? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, sure. $10 million? You bet. Uh, To have an uncomfortable tickle in my throat in exchange for, you know, financial security for uh, my children and grandchildren? Yeah, I I think I got that. I'm pretty good. Um, Plus, I've had the tickle in my throat that makes me cough every 10 minutes. It was uh, a... when I was first on medication for blood pressure, uh, one of the things that I was taking was an ACE inhibitor, which for some people results in a nagging tickle at the back of your throat that results in uh, persistent dry coughing. And yeah, I could live with it. I mean, it wasn't great, but I could live with it. Obviously, I didn't. I switched medications and, uh, and went with something different. But for $10 million, I could go back. I, I'd be all right with that. Uh, let's see. From... Oh, from Lisa. Lisa says, pictures of my family. That's Aww. pretty good. See? I mean, we know I, there's at least a hundred. See, I was going to say dice, uh, and then she goes and she picks something, you know, meaningful and touching. Uh, whereas me, it's just, you know, material goods. And kind of pointless ones at that. So. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, it's Emily. Emily says, I, hey, just, Emily. I just bought a bag of footies. 
I'm very excited. I also own over 300 yards of yarn. My roommate is very excited for his large amount of spaghetti. And Jess owns many books and puzzle pieces. Nice. I love that we always get a room full of answers right. from Emily. Um, those are all good. Let's see. Uh, Kyle, Aiden, Lisa, Emily. Ooh, Todd. Todd says spaghetti noodles because carbs is life. Nice. Uh, walrus? No, that was Todd. All right. Walrus has a problem with comma placement and usage. So. Books uh, and dice music. He has books and dice music. I have not heard dice music in a very long time. I know. I would love to hear some dice music. But books and dice music and movies and picks. Okay. See? Pictures again. Not bad at all. Look, he's a walrus. Keyboards are hard. <laughs> That's You know what? You're absolutely right. I should be more forgiving. You're being reductive. <laughs> um, Sarah Beth. Sarah Beth says, colors of embroidery floss. And she spelled colors with a U because she's British. Um, flipping through my binder and imaging projects is delightful. Oh, okay. Right. Embroidery floss is good. See, you and Emily should get together, uh, her with her yarn. Um, and then Dave says, congratulations, Mr. Jones. I'm not sure that I own 300 of everything. Well, anything, I'm sure he means. I know that there are more than 300 Godball cards in this house. So that's probably the closest. Yeah, I bet there are. Uh, I don't own more than 300 dice, heathen. Uh, I used to own more than 300 magic cards, but no longer. I have 125 movie scores on shelves, which I guess means I have over 300 pieces of dance music for Montalto. That's pretty nifty. All right, yeah, no, I guess that is right. So uh, what are you going to do for the next 300 episodes? Same thing we do for every 300 episodes, Pinky. Try to entertain you. (laughs) I was going to go with try to take over the world, but... Well, I was going to, too, but then I realized there's no way we'd ever accomplish that. Yeah, I, I wanted to go for a more realistic goal. <laughs> okay, that's... That, that's how... That's all I've got, so... All right. Thank you for capping um, that off nicely for me. Uh, I sent out... Howdy, Platinum members. My dad and I are recording today. If you'd like to say something or have us read anything, now is your chance. We will read anything you send to us. Seriously, anything you type will be read off. This week's question, if you could elect one fictional character as president, who would it be and why? Oh, my girlfriend. Oh, and why? And why. My oh. girlfriend. I forgot. <laughs> fictional. <laughs> uh... I'll be here all night. This is great radio. Sorry, I was trying to decide if this was good radio or like like acceptable to read off. Oh, okay. and and it is. Okay. Um, uh, Ryan responds, Tony the Tiger, because he will definitely ban the biggest uh, disgrace to humanity in the furries. Which we've had a conversation about all the furries on Tony the Tiger's Twitter asking him to post nudes. Oh yeah. Okay. So yes. So yes. I I I I do believe that Tony the Tiger would put a stop to the grosser of humanity. Now, not 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 all furries. Most furries. Ninety nine percent of furries are wonderful people and very accepting people. And I have not met one in real life that is not a wonderful person. But there are furries, as there are non furries, that are really gross. Okay. I'll allow it. 
Next um, up. The next one is from uh, Mike. Hey, Mike. Oh, hey. Uh, he says, uh, Ron Weasley for Muggle President 2020. Okay, why? Because I think he was running for Muggle President in 2012. No, maybe it was even 2008. It was a while ago. And uh, we never got the campaign off the ground. And because the whole point of Ron Weasley for Muggle President is then you go through the entire bit and he gets uh, selected as part of the wizarding platform. He's the only uh, candidate on the wizarding platform. And so once he's selected at their convention, he then names his running mate the Scorpion King. And so it would then be Weasley Scorpion King 2012. It was like, it was, I think it was 2008, 2012. Can't remember. Doesn't matter. Now it would be Weasley Scorpion King 2020. And it would be awesome. This is just a bit Kyle and I did. We had, uh, we had live journal accounts made up for all of our participants there. Um, it was really funny. All right. I'll believe you. Yeah. You have to believe me. Uh, and then Mike also says Finn the human. Right. Finn the Human is because Kyle, oh, a couple years ago, asked who the Nerd Pride candidate was going to be. I think it was Kyle asked who the Nerd Pride candidate was going to be in the 2020 election. And so we came up with Finn the Human. And then, in addition to Finn the Human, which you've seen the promotional materials, I just had those out, I actually made up uh, some posters for him, uh, Finn the Human 2020, and, and Finn from Adventure Time, by the way, if you don't know who Finn the Human is. It's Finn from Adventure Time. And and his slogan was, are you tired of Trump? This time, vote for a real human. Finn the Human 2020. And uh, and then his running mate was going to be Hulk. So, so it's 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 just scrawny guys with their running mates, really big buff guys. Right. Except, except in this particular case, it's Smart Hulk. So it's actually Bruce Banner in Hulk form. So with Smart Hulk... He's actually the brains and the bronze because Finn is nothing but, you know, moxie, really. Uh, I know you don't appreciate me, but these were really funny when we came up with them. You know what? Okay. You shut up. Did did you have fun? Did did you have fun today? Shut up. (laughs) Uh, All right. The next one's from Kyle. He says, what a terrible and awful question. See, you don't care about me, Kyle. (laughs) <laughs> uh, he says obviously the answer is Zaphod Beeblebrox oh that's a pretty good one <laughs> he, here's a much superior question. question he says that every week oh okay uh, here's a much better question he said he said mine was a uh, wonderful thoughtful yeah he always, he always compliments yours because he doesn't care about me anyway uh, here's a much superior question how big's your dick it is this big moving on all right, what's up? The next one comes from Sam. He says, Axe Cop, he's been the president of the world, so he can handle America just fine. I am not caught up with Axe Cop lore. Is that what's going on? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I should have said Dunkelzon. There you go. Shadowrun Dragon. He was elected president in Shadowrun. There you go. Cool. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's just as cool as saying Axe Cop. Uh, the next one is from Sarah Beth. She says, I'm driving, sent from my car. Whoa. Thanks, Sarah Beth. Bold, bold move, Sarah Beth. Uh, she also then says, Kaladin, uh, Kaladin Storm Blast. What? 
Uh, I did have his Wikipedia page open. Okay. But now my internet isn't working. Uh, he is from the a book series. Really? There we go. Uh, yeah, he's from the Stormlight Archive. An accomplished spearman and natural leader, he eventually becomes captain of the Elhakar Colon's King's Guard, formerly known as the Cobalt, Go- Cobalt Guard House Colon. Colin? Colin, I think. House Colon. I mean, it's it's spelled <laughs> house, fantasy, I don't know. House, house small intestine. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. It's, Beats me. Never uh, yep. read it, so yep. uh, I'm baffled. Good answer. But yes, I'm sure a spectacular answer is only my ignorance that's uh, keeping me from Emily then uh, chimes in with, I nominate El- Elmo, as it is in fact Elmo's world. Mm, nice. <laughs> Uh, and I have one from uh, my mother. Uh, she says uh, Kimmy Schmidt for president. Okay, and then there should be some graphic there. Uh, probably. Hmm. What? What? What was this GIF? I don't. It, I'm. She's explaining. Hold on. Ah. So, so yes, it's it. The gif was uh, was Kimmy Schmidt saying, "Women can be anything they want, anything except president or a late night talk show host." So there you go. All right, and uh, that's all I got. That's it. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Why? Why, Lisa? Why do you want Kimmy Schmidt? That's true. Because. In case you can't hear her, because she's on the other side of the room. All Kimmy wants is for the world to be a better place. See? Philosophically, yes. Sure, go ahead. Anybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I love I love the way that you ask qualifying questions. Well, okay, do dead people count? Yeah, okay. All right, well then, uh, yeah, anybody in the world uh, better, is better than the world. I was we thinking Crypt Keeper. Kripke, I don't know. I can't take him seriously. But, I mean, that sultry voice giving me a State of the Union address? Oh, all right. So, solely for the press conference. My fellow Americans! All right. I'll give you that. All right, now we're done. So, that was it. You guys are awesome. It's been 300 episodes. I appreciate uh, all of you who have listened to every single one of them. Here's the 300 more. Wait, 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 exactly. Wait, hold up. What? what? I know who I would nominate. Oh, who? Jay the dog with non smart Hulk just to smite dad. <laughs> what? No. Aww. That would actually not be bad, though. Seriously, Jake the dog with uh, with dumb Hulk? I shouldn't call him Also, dumb. we we know that if either of them are running for office, the other one is their VP. Like, in all honesty. Hmm. I can, I can even hear Jake in... In Jake's voice, saying that uh, no, no, that's cool, dude. I'll be your campaign manager, right? And then, uh, and then, uh, Rainicorn will be Secretary of Defense. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, uh, that goes without saying. All right, anyway, no, seriously, we're done. We're done. This was a great episode. It's a, been a great run of three hundred episodes. You guys are wonderful for being here. Say good night, R two. <laughs> good night, everybody. Night, guys. We love you. What about Bye. me? Say good night, Noah. No. <laughs> Silence? 
Silence. Silence. <laughs> Silence? Silence. <laughs> 